0: You're by my perfect fight, my perfect life. hello
1: everybody and welcome to the word on the hill podcast we are the link you guys my name is dr scott powell and my name is father peter musse
0: we're coming at you from like, the summer from the summertime dude so i was on i was on itunes Okay, and uh, I was like, "Dude, where do we rank in the Christian podcast, religious oh, podcast no. thing?" Shoot, man, we are nowhere to be seen, man. Really,
1: nowhere. Like, we had been, we had shown up on no, New and Noteworthy before.
0: Yep, yeah, and and uh,
1: and did you search for? <laughs> did you search on the the categories for Catholic podcasts on liturgy and scripture? <laughs> <laughs> we've got to be somewhat high on that list,
0: dude. I was listening to the other podcasts on uh, on the top two hundred, which we did not make. You were listening to them, yeah, yeah. I like yeah. I like tuned in because I was like, who Who are the people who are ahead of us? Who are yeah. doing better than us? Yeah, dude. I was just ha- I'd have to compliment all the other Catholic podcasts out there. You guys are doing great. Way to keep it up. Way to make the two up two hundred. Can Praise- you search specifically for Catholic podcasts? No, you can't. But the, a lot of Catholic ones showed up. Yeah, yeah, there was there was a good. I mean, there was a good like maybe three percent of the top two hundred. There's Joel Osteen number eight. Yeah, the Kazakh kind of stuff you should know, guys are just are just like banging, man. They're consistently high. Yeah. So, Which is cool. We we love those guys. Well, you guys. Well, um, I just have to say, after having listened to these other uh, podcasts, yeah, talk w- to me. What I've realized is that I'm very thankful for how down to business we are nowadays. We've like cut out all of the like the marshmallow, and we've gotten <laughs> straight to the chocolate and graham cracker, dude. The
1: marshmallow. Yeah, the marshmallow do get in the way. What about the other podcasts? Do they have a lot of fluff at the beginning? Yeah, maybe they do. Do they? Yes. Are we better? A little bit. Okay, as long
0: as we're better than. No, I mean, else. I don't I'm just. Get, to it was a joke. myself. That was to the, a joke. That was would, meant to be funnier than it came well, off. Well, what, what's really funny is the is this is that we, uh, though we are not in the top 200, our audio quality is amazing, our uh, babble is very low, and okay, well that's great, and we're super substantive, but yet they they all have beat us. So I don't know what we're doing wrong. You guys got to get more listeners. That's all I got to say. Our
1: listeners are probably better than the rest of these listeners. Mm. Like they're faithful. I know our vote. I don't mean they're better. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I mean, I know our vote. We have good folks. They're faithful. They're into it. They want to learn. I mean, I, I just, in the conversations we've had and the emails and things we get, I mean, we have thoughtful listeners. Dude, you guys are and best. I would I
0: would take quality over quantity any day of the week. Dude, amen, two bags full, yes sir, yes sir. <laughs> we are in the 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Good
1: for you for getting down to business. That's right, dog. All right, 12th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Our first reading for the
0: 12th Sunday. Is Jeremiah 20, um, 10 to 13. That's right. Um, terror on every side, Father Peter. Denounce him. Denounce, bro. Mm.
1: All right. Our responsorial psalm is coming from Psalm 69, verses 8 through 10, then 14,
0: 17, 33 through 35. With 14C is our little responsicle. Oh,
1: thanks for pointing that out.
0: Dude, I actually was walking down the Pearl Street the other day uh, okay. in Boulder here, and I've, there's like a popsicle store. <laughs> it literally just sells popsicles. And they have like for some reason the way you're saying pop-thickle it's, it's really correct.
1: They just have poptickles. It's like that thing what do you what, is what do you call that thing that you make a fire in that has a smoke chimney? That, a what? Chimney? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to go have a pop-thickle near my chimney.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, I'm sorry. I just love it. Our second reading is from Romans that's... chapter 5, oh, 12 to 15, bro. Very good. The 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 this is the heart and soul of the book of Romans. Which is in many ways the heart and soul of Christian theology. Which so this is, this many is the heart ways. and soul of the heart and, th- heart and th- soul. It's, it's the heart and th- soul with a popsicle near the chimney? <laughs> chim chimney, chim chimney. Chim chimney. Our gospel is coming from the gospel of Matthew, chapter 10, verses
0: 26 through 33. Jesus said to the 12, fear no one, which is like a bumper sticker for like all of the 90s, dude. No, no Fear. fear. <laughs> do you remember No Fear? Well, okay. Obviously you do because <laughs> you brought it up. Dude, I mean, like, do you remember? That was everywhere, dude. You know what made me mad?
1: Yeah. No Fear and hyper-color t-shirts never teamed up. Cause it, can you imagine a no fear hyper Hypercolor, is that the, what they were uh-huh, called the t-shirts that changed t-shirt. changed color? Dude,
0: this is the problem with the hyper t-shirts. Is oh, there was there were a myriad of problems. This is the problem. Cause it heated up where you got hot, which was in your armpits. <laughs> <laughs> like, dude, it's like the last thing you want to do is like have armpit emphasis yeah. when it's really warm outside. And
1: and that was when at least for you and I, that was like junior high and high school when you're trying desperately to look cool, and then your hypercolor is just did it's just, just not doing anything. It's favors. just like
0: let's add the neon zones in <laughs> there. Oh, it's true. So well, that's a good uh, segue. In, in fact, that's the weirdest segue that
1: you have uh, done for me. You did it, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking <laughs> there's there's a, there's a sort of
0: metaphorical hypercolor that uh, Jeremiah is wearing oh. this week. Oh, that's a stretch. That's a stretch, dude. I just have to say, um, so. I remember I was reading Jeremiah when I was a punk rocker. And, um, really? Yeah, and Something uh, beautiful about that. Yeah, and it was like, let us denounce him. And when I was in high school, there was a production company that produced, or like a, a promoter who, who produced all of these punk rock bands. Okay, and he was just very greedy. And it was called To Be Announced. Okay, so To Be Announced Productions. TBA. And uh, and so then one day I got really punk rock, and I made a flyer. And one my, day I got really punk. Rock. What a great sentence! And and uh, and I was like, and so I took his logo and I changed it. And rather than to be an- announced, I changed it to be denounced. And Ooh. I know, isn't that isn't, wasn't that like super epic? And so I made all these flyers about Ooh. how how he was ripping off all of these like punk rock bands and. Um, and for, for quote unquote, you know, like whatever, it was just the man. I was trying to keep the man in check.
1: And it was, you were inspired by Jeremiah.
0: Uh-huh. Because I was at mass actually. Now I remember I was down at Holy Ghost skipping my, um, skipping my punk rock band practice. I used to tell them that I was going to go see my girlfriend and then I would go to mass. The church is often described in the feminine. And, and, so. and I just tell people, man, don't make that prayer because the Lord will hear it. Amen. Um, no I'm a priest. Do you know who's being denounced in this reading? Um uh, Jeremiah.
1: Yeah, and him, himself. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, by the the other ones who did not like what was going on with what he was saying. By everybody. All right, I want I want to back it up. I want to back up the train a little back bit. Back it up, back it up. So yeah, so
1: this is Jeremiah. This is one of Jeremiah's lamentations as they're called. This is So the the book of Jeremiah, I kind of like Usually how Usually I call them lamentations. Yes. Well, I don't think they're lame, <laughs> uh, dude. Well, I should shun <laughs> this is, this is <laughs> let Jeremiah pouring out his heart before God. Uh, I
0: know. I think I should shun that comment that I uh, just sorry. said.
1: Yeah, it was it was it was witty, um, but I I kind of the structure of the book is kind of cool. It's it's organized not haphazardly, but they're 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 all over the place. There'll be chunks of narrative that says, okay. "Here's what Jeremiah is doing," and then it'll turn to dialogue between Jeremiah and God, and his prayer. Right. Mm. So. um... Well, we'll we'll get to the narrative part that came right before this dialogue, or this is really a monologue in a certain sense, that Jeremiah speaks to God. He's lamenting his prayer, um, yeah, his song before God. This is a very sad song.
0: It's a very sad song, and we sing it, actually, in... um in the Tenebrae services, oh, in Tenebrae, yeah, yeah we yeah, do. We, we, we sing do sing the Lamentations, which is well, really this isn't powerful. the Book of Lamentations.
1: I know is Tenebrae is, if I'm not mistaken, the only place where the Book of Lamentations appears in the liturgy, right? It is correct. Is that right? Yep. Which is kind of cool. Okay, but for now, to back it up, um, okay, to, to really understand Jeremiah, now we can understand. We know the general context. You know, he's he's um, speaking a word of judgment against the people of Israel because they've been
0: sinful. Yeah, and he's we get young, that. right?
1: He's um. Is he young?
0: Don't don't let anybody disdain your youth. That's uh, Timothy. That's Timothy. In the New Testament. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, okay, a little bit about the context, because I find the the historical context of this really fascinating, which really changes things. So, what we know about Jeremiah, so bear with me for just a a couple
0: minutes here. Okay, no, no, I'm with you. What we know
1: about Jeremiah is he he received his initial call, his vocational call from God during the reign of a king named Josiah. Do you remember Josiah at all? No.
0: Josiah, he was... uh, (laughs) I mean, I like, I know, yeah, the you name. know, the name, I, I know, you know the, the name, name, but I, but I could, you say, what did Josiah do? And I would be like, I don't know. I think right. he cut wood in Virginia with his rest of his family in the backwoods. Jo- Josiah. <laughs> Jeez. So,
1: Josiah, you know? Josiah was, was one of the best kings of Israel. David gets all the press, but Josiah was, was really a fantastic king. He was a phenomenal king. He was known as one of the reformer kings. So it was really Jeremiah in the midst. I mean, the whole story of the Old Testament is the story of terrible kings doing terrible things. (laughs) I didn't mean for that to run.
0: Dude, that was sweet.
1: But along came Jeremiah, uh, along came kings doing terrible terrible things. things. But along came Josiah, and basically he realizes, wait a second, we're headed in the wrong direction. And he reforms, and he brings Israel back to her senses. We're told that he rediscovers the book of Deuteronomy, which has apparently been long lost. And he reads it, and he was like, oh, no, he was this like, is really dude. bad. And he, he reads it to all the people, and he's like, we got to change. Um, it was profound. He is actually Josiah, righteous ki- He was a young, righteous king who's actually cut down in the prime of his life by the Egyptians uh, in his mid-30s. Rome. In a place called the Plains of Megiddo, which in Hebrew means Har Megiddo. Megiddo,
0: which is Armageddon, where we get the word.
1: So the Old Testament reference for Armageddon is a young righteous mid thirty year old king who is cut down by the nation of his life by the nations. So I'll let you do the math on why we, you know, what Revelation means by Armageddon. So what you're
0: saying is that Jeremiah was pointing towards the Messiah. Josiah was pointing toward the Messiah. Jeremiah does too. Jeremiah, you're lucky; those both rhyme. Josiah
1: (laughs) talking about the Messiah. Yeah, but here's the thing about Jeremiah: he doesn't have that many messages or that many um, oracles concerning Josiah, because Josiah is good. He receives this call during the reign of Josiah. Josiah reigned 31 years, I think. He was he was really young when he became king. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Josiah has two really lousy sons named Jehoiakim and then Zedekiah. And And most of the oracles of Jeremiah, the the condemnation, the judgments come on those two Kings. Okay. Well, what were
0: you going to say? I mean, the more you say these names, the more I'm just (laughs) like, I just wanting to spit out some rhymes. Well, no, the more you say these names, the more I'm like transported to like the, the holla, you know, (laughs) like Zedekiah, this is my son, Zedekiah, (laughs) Josiah, Hananiah, (laughs) No, Azariah and Jehoiakim and Jehoiakim.
1: <laughs> that, that'll bring it under.
0: Um,
1: okay, so a little bit of history. So, so that's sort of our time frame. These three kings and Zedekiah will be kind of the last one before they're utterly obliterated. Oh, so Jeremiah lives to see the end of the whole nation of Israel when they're destroyed by the Babylonians mm. and the temple and no everything one, else.
0: No wonder he's lamenting.
1: He's in. A, it's pretty bad. Okay, so a little history. When Josiah, remember this righteous reformer king, when he took the throne. Um, There was somewhat of a lull on the international scene. So if you think of global politics, the nation of Assyria—remember Assyria? Yes. They were the ones who overtook the northern kingdom. By the time of Josiah, Assyria is in decline, and Assyria is is losing power. And so uh, there's two nations— Egypt and Babylon that are basically vying for world supremacy and trying to come in and fill the void that Assyria is about to leave, right? Okay, so, so they're like, who is going to win? Who is going to be the next super superpower?
0: So uh, when I think of Egypt and Babylon, yep. I think of uh, just directly south of of the uh, nation very good. of Israel, and then very I think, uh, you, you know, southeast of the nation of Israel. Where's Assyria? Is it north? North. So is Babylon though. Oh, in a certain Babylon. sense, yeah. Well, oh, Iraq,
1: oh, I, so it would be their empire stretched to the north. Iraq is north of, of Israel? No, I it's guess it east. would be east. But their, their um, Assyria's holdings stretched to the north and to the east, okay, right? Okay. Assyria, uh, Egypt's holdings would have been mainly all south. Got it. And there's okay. nothing to the west because it's the Mediterranean Sea. Okay. So basically the point of that little geography lesson was that in the middle of those two nations is Israel. They're smack in the middle of these two vying world superpowers, right?
0: <laughs> I mean, and, and we're
1: we're talking Israel is, is like a thumbtack. They're a th- but that piece of land is profoundly important. It's because the crossroads between everything. Yes, and it's this coastal waterway. It's the access to the Mediterranean. I mean, it, it's an important piece of land, right? So they're stuck in the middle between two major superpowers who are way bigger than and more powerful than they are vying for power. So, okay, Josiah, he died in year 609, um, this battle on the planet of Megiddo with uh, this Egyptian pharaoh named Nico. Um, So soon after that, Egypt was defeated by Babylon and a guy named Nebuchadnezzar will become basically the ruler of the Babylonian empire. Now we've heard of Nebuchadnezzar,
0: right? Yeah. Nebuchadnezzar was the ship that, um, what's his name, (laughs) flew in the Matrix? Really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't remember. Yeah, yeah, that was the Nebuchadnezzar. But okay, but, nasty but neb. yeah, n- nasty Neb. Hold on. So I got lost here. Who's okay. Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar was the
1: king of Babylon.
0: Okay, he's the king of Babylon, and, and he's
1: going to be the one who eventually destroys Jerusalem.
0: Okay, so he's so a, he's, so his
1: name will come up in the Bible later on. But for now, he defeats Egypt as they're kind of battling back and forth. Israel stuck in the middle, and Babylon wins. Okay, that's the that's the long story short. So, um, Judah's final years are all directly tied to what happens next, right? So the series of kings that come after Josiah, again, essentially just end up being political footballs being tossed back and forth between Egypt and Babylon. Because
0: Because Egypt is still there, they're just number two. So I would say that the difference between Josiah and these kings that come after is Josiah recognizes the importance of the nation of Israel and fidelity towards God. Whereas these other kings, if my memory serves right, as soon as they come into power, they're like, we're just a little. We're just these little guys, and then they're, they're, they start to play alliance games between Babylon and Egypt and all these different places. And start you're on to... the
1: right track, but but um, your ambiguity is wrong. My ambiguity. Yeah. I thought it was my ambidextrous. No, That's... no, your ambidexterity is is right on. What's my ambiguity? Uh, there's only one nation that they pledge allegiance to.
0: Egypt. Yeah.
1: Now, this is a problematic for two reasons. So because of the exodus, because they were enslaved to Egypt. Yeah, and so, they, like, so, so you're reading this, and you're like, wait, Egypt reminds you of all of these terrible things. You're like, wait, you're going back to Egypt for help? That's like the m- model of the Old <laughs> Testament slavery. Like that's that, that's everything. Precisely. They also killed Josiah, the best king. It was Neek. It was the Pharaoh who killed him. So there's all sorts of reasons. Like Egypt is not the place you should be going for help. Um. But, you know, economically, militaristically, they're terrified of the Babylonians who are in charge. Um so they keep going to Egypt for help because it's easy. So it's there it's a problem for two reasons. Number okay. one, it's a problem for the spiritual reasons that you said, right? Egypt
0: represents slavery. Egypt represents exile. Well, we have to keep in mind that all the time with Israel, the Lord has said like the Deuter- Deuteronomical laws. So this is what's interesting is that <laughs> is that the Deuteronomical laws <laughs> I know I can't say you it. Got it. <laughs> Just take some work to get there. Uh, yeah. Um the reason why they're in place is so that they don't covenant with the nations, and <laughs> yeah. and and the the like typos of them not spending forty days in the desert and going into the promised land, but spending forty years in the desert in the going to the promised land is Egypt, Egypt, right, right. and the gods of Egypt.
1: So that's a problem. Yep. Why? Else? So that's the spiritual reason it's a problem, but it's also going to be a problem on a secular level. Talk to me. Any Ace. idea why? No. Well, the, the, the handwriting's on the wall for this one. Who is the major superpower of the world? Egypt. Who? No. Babylon. Who is in control of the region of Israel? Babylon. Babylon controls it because they beat the Egyptians. So who is the emperor of Israel? King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. Who is Israel trying to form alliances with? Egypt. How do you think Babylon's going to feel about that? They're not going to be stoked. It's treason. Right? They see yeah. it as treasonous. They're, I mean, so there's the spiritual danger of Egypt. But then there's just the fact that, wait a second, you're actually, you are within our territory. We control you, and you're trying to make alliances with our enemy? Mm That ain't going to stand. Right. And so basically, on a political level, because they're seen this committing treason against the Babylonians, Nebuchadnezzar comes in. He's like, no, I'm hauling you guys off to exile. So if you remember the story of the exile, there were three waves. So Babylon comes in once, kills a lot of people, hauls a bunch of people, including Daniel and some others off into exile in Babylon. And they say, you gotta stop doing this. So, um, the king, uh Jehoiakim, I think it is, at that point, he's taken away, um, he's he's killed, and a guy named Zedekiah, the second son, is gonna take power. And Zedekiah, at first you get the impression that he's like, No, yeah, no, my dad was right. We're not supposed to put, you know, our 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 trust in nations. We're supposed to trust in God. We're not supposed to do that anymore. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna turn back. And this is who Israel is supposed to be, because we saw the conflict we saw the uh the fruit of it. We see Babylon's attacking us. They're killing us. God is shunning us because we've shunned him. So I'm going to turn back to God. And that lasts for a few weeks <laughs> until he realizes, Man, Babylon's really scary. Maybe Egypt will still help us. <laughs> and so he does the exact same. I mean, the point of all this is not just the political football game. It's the fact that God is asking Israel to trust in him and him alone. And they continually trust in God. The source of their slavery and the source of their slavery alone, Egypt. And so Zedekiah goes back. Babylon gets ticked off again, says, now we're going to come and we're going to finish the job. And so they come
0: in and they obliterate Jerusalem in the next two waves of, of the exile. Dude, right? We got to pause for a second here because I've been thinking a lot about anxiety because I've just okay. been watching the spirit of anxiety just <clears throat> ravage everybody around me. Okay. Um I I I think the spirit of anxiety is in its heyday. Mm, and perhaps. And what is what is anxiety? But like or like what is the pattern? I think one of the patterns of anxiety is precisely what Israel is doing. Yeah. It says that um I feel out of control and things are really hard and I don't know what to do. And rather than placing your trust in God. Yeah. You place your trust in precisely the things that are giving you anxiety. So, right. so, so like I have a uh, struggle sometimes to get some of my communications done yeah. and, and, and it's precisely if I think if I could just rally my mm. strength more to yeah. get my communications done, then. I'm going to be okay. Then I'll be happy. I, I, and it, it's self-reliance or, mm. or then I'll go and I'll go to some sort of productivity reality and say like, Oh no, I'm going to, if I just have an app, if I just have an app or if I just have a, this special mm. technique, then, then I'm going to, then I'm going to be okay. But it's just trust in self. And rather than trust in God, which says like, no, I'm going to submit to, and go to prayer. And, and rather than that, and then, then that's actually the only true relief of anxiety is to say, God has chosen me and out of his choice of me, I, he knows all of my weakness. He knows all of the need that I have in a real way. And he's going to provide for exactly what I need. And those other people who are relying upon me what they need. Yes. However it's not always exactly like you hope it's going to be.
1: No. And that's the point. That's the That's the, the, um, the, the punchline for Jeremiah. So Jeremiah's task is this. So that's the backdrop, right? Right. And with all this anxiety, that's the perfect setup for this. Okay. So in the midst of this anxiety, I mean, Jeremiah is called first, you know, to, to try to be a light, to try to tell people he turned back. But as things get worse and worse, Jeremiah's task gets worse and worse. So what Jeremiah is asked to do by God is to basically be a, stand, a, a sign of opposition to the house of David, to be an opposition sign to the kings, because the kings are doing the wrong thing. And do you know what Jeremiah's message ends up being? Doesn't he bury his underwear in a rock? <laughs> <laughs> You've mixed so many stories together. <laughs> Close <laughs> that. That underwear and rocks do happen. But, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, wow. you're, uh, but here's here's the thing. This Wh- what's is, this it, what's his message end up being? Submit to Babylon. Oh, that's right. I always forget that. I know because it's it's not pleasant, and it's, it's the not something worst you want. thing ever. Now imagine being Jeremiah. Not only are you told to go, uh, by oh. God, to go to the temple and say the kings are wrong, they're evil, they're following the ways. The temple has become a den of robbers and thieves. Remember, they basically said, no, it's fine, we can do whatever we want to because we have the temple. God's presence is here. The temple, the temple. We're going to be fine. So if we seek alliances from Egypt and the wrong thing, it's okay because we've got the little lucky rabbit's foot. That's the idea. right? So number one, Jeremiah says, no, that ain't going to work. This has become a sign of contradiction, a sign of, of um, of, it's a den of robbers and thieves. And number two, it's too late to do anything now. Now is time. God is telling you. This isn't just, here's the best strategy. It says God is telling you, submit to Babylon. Let them take you over. And through your obedience to this sort of absurd thing I'm asking you to do, things are going to eventually go. And and we know sort of the end of the story. Remember, they do get released from Babylon. The Persians who take over Babylon actually pay for them to rebuild the temple. We see how God builds on that, And how God, God can use any, but God can use King Nebuchadnezzar but, to
0: bring great light, but his job is to, well, this is the thing submit. is, is that, is that not only that, but his life, um, prophetic expressions, how ha- he, he's not just asking Jeremiah to say this to the nations. He's doing it in a prophetic capacity. Yeah. He's asked to marry a, a prostitute. I mean, so, like, like that's Hosea. Dang, you're mixing yeah. a lot of you're making a lot of profits, man, <laughs> dude. Uh, I've I have confused everybody. Okay, so that's Jose, Jose. The, but I mean, the point is still the same. he's still yeah, yeah. embody these things. He's he's meant to embody these things, which is which is precisely how God works. He's like saying, like, actually, I'm gonna need you guys all to live. In a prophetic capacity within your lives, in a simple, straightforward relationship with me, yes. and it will speak to all of the nations. It will it will actually proclaim God's glory. Well, but you have to trust and have a long game. And that's the truth. But but Jeremiah doesn't say that. That's
1: what we have to deduce from this. But all they're left with is just this is bad news. No, we know God's end game, or we don't know his end, but we see the patterns of how he works. But I just want to read you right what what comes right before what we read this week in the reading. Okay. It says this. This is the beginning of chapter 20. We pick it up, I think, in verse 10 or something. Pick it up. Now, Pashur, the priest, so this is the high priest of Israel, the son of Emir, who is the chief officer of the house of the Lord of the temple, he heard Jeremiah prophesying these things that we just talked about. He's and then walking pa- by. He's like, what's up? And Jeremiah's He's like. like what? You're saying, what? <laughs> <laughs> so then Pashur beat Jeremiah. <laughs> he beat the crap out of it. It's not out of him. <laughs> And he put him in the stocks that were in the upper Benjamin Gate of the house of the Lord. And on the next day, when Pashur released Jeremiah from
0: the stocks, Jeremiah said to him... Hold on, hold on. Let's just back it up for just <laughs> okay. a second here. They're like, hey, we found these stocks up here in the in this like storage room in the temple. Uh, I mean, let's just talk about the fact that... They, they're like, that's what's in there. They're like, let's keep that around it over the Benjamin it Gate. It sort dude. of su- suggests that things are not maybe what they should, <laughs> what they should be. <laughs> I think it's, it's like, hey, I'm, I'm in the uh, altar guild room and I found some stocks. So let's just... <laughs> It's like here's a guillotine here's over here a, that we can. So he in, put in him in the sacristy. So he put him in the stocks overnight. He comes the So then in the he morning. lets him
1: out, and Jeremiah says, "Oh, thanks for letting me out. The Lord does not call your name." Sure. But terror on every side. For thus says the Lord Behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends. They will fall by the sword of their enemies while you look on. And I will give all of Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon. He shall carry them captive to Babylon and will slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will give all the wealth of this city, all of its gains, its prized belongings, and all of the treasures of the kings of Judah into the hands of their enemies, who will plunder them and seize them and carry them off to Babylon and you Pashur the high priest and all who dwell in your house your precious fancy house you shall go into captivity to babylon you shall go and there are you and your friends whom you sh- and there you shall be buried you and all your friends to whom you have prophesied falsely because you have misled the people and you have done it for so long that there's no turning back. The consequences are already there. It's not that God, you know, this is the thing about the God of the Old Testament. It's not that he's just angry and ticked off and just wants, needs to punish somebody. It's that, no, you've made terrible decisions. And right. sometimes decisions have consequences. Yeah. And, and sometimes the only way out is to just put your head down and take the consequences. Take the penance. And then know that God's going to pick you back up. But right now it's too late to get out of this. So that's what Jeremiah says, and then we pick it up in the reading. That's the narrative, and then Jeremiah we get with himself alone with God, just him and God, and he's like, "Lord, you have deceived me." It's it's that great line, "You have duped me, and I let myself be duped." I was like, "Yeah, I'll be a prophet. That sounds great. Prophecy, yay! I'm gonna be. Everyone's gonna love me." Dude, isn't it's like this stinks. I, I can't
0: believe you asked me to do this. I think that that's very much the experience of vocation. Yeah, is, it's it, true. Is that it's super alluring. And you're like so thankful and you're, mm. you're drawn in. And then like the, the truth is, is, is it's like soldiering, you know, I don't know. I don't know any man who hasn't had at some point this desire in his heart to soldier yeah, to fight for something, to fight for something. And then I, then you hang with some vets and you're going like, <sighs> Oh my goodness. Like, like what did I actually decide to do here? Right. And, and the allurement actually comes down to mission and mm. the trustful surrender to the mission of God. Yes. Is um, is is harrowing, and yeah. it's 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 noble because it has um, real substance, and it is it demands if you're going to follow after the Lord, it demands real surrender. Absolutely, and because uh, because as long as I rely upon my own strength, then I'm going to be filled with anxiety.
1: Do you see where this is all going? No, not to put too fine a point on it. I mean, but thinking I, there's ahead. a bee in my bonnet, ah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> put a little birdhouse in your soul. Yeah. Um. But, I mean, take, take the principle you just, there, there's a lot of sin that's happened. There's a lot of consequence for sin. Right. And what's the only solution? To sit down and absorb that punishment. To take it on oneself. Knowing that God will mm. raise us back up in the end. You mm. see where, in the Gospels, this is pointing toward. This does all fit. Even though, for Jeremiah's point of view, Jeremiah is in his own little garden of Gethsemane. Right. Saying, this is awful. Right. And he doesn't have the, for, the divine foresight of our Lord to see how this all ends. He just knows I'm in the middle of it. And, Lord, I hate this. And he's saying, I hear the whisperings of everybody. There's terror on every side. They're saying, denounce me, denounce me. Those who were my friends, they're watching for any misstep. They want to trap me, all of these things. This, this is horrible. Um, and then he, he comes around and he's like, but I, but I trust you, Lord. Lord. I trust that you're doing something and I I don't see it. And my friends have all abandoned me and everyone hates me and they're beating me in this temple and I'm just trying to do my job. And I don't know why you called me to this, but here I am. And that's, there's something so profound about, I don't know. I think the backstory makes a big difference to this because then it shows us why this is all happening. Right. This isn't haphazard. You know, we can pick up the Bible and read some of these stories and you're like, this is just weird. There's a bunch of sin that of which I don't understand. And Jeremiah asked to do weird stuff. And God seems really ticked off and mad, but there's a story behind this and there's lots of intrigue and bad decisions and consequences, which I think
0: leads us in a good way to psalm sixty nine which, in my yeah. opinion, is one of the darkest of the psalms. yeah, then, yeah, then well, I mean, talk about, you know, I read news all the time. I engage um what's happening on a larger, wider scale. And it, it's part of this is 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 trying to teach us mm. about the different realities of how world events, including the spiritual events of the world, actually probably especially the spiritual especially the spiritual events draw real consequence within our own particular lives absolutely which which is which is like i don't know it's very abstract and it's super hard to understand Mm. and like and like because because the truth is is that i'm just a little old me yeah in in on the hill with little old you and we're talking about (laughs) stuff and and then there's all this stuff happening all over the world and and it's abstract on how that really affects us yeah that's true so Until until it's not
1: abstract. Until it's not until abstract. Until the Babylonians come banging down your door. Yep. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh,
0: there's actually consequences. Uh, yep. Which is yeah. why then you sing a song. <laughs> song 69. Ah,
1: uh, I see what you did there. In Psalm 69, uh, well, I mean, the response that we get is, Lord, in your great love, answer me. But the content of the psalm itself, the, the church fathers, the ancient saints obviously saw all of this as, as typology of Jesus. Yes. This figure, this uh, the singular figure who bears Ill insult, who bears beatings and becomes an outcast and a stranger and all of these terrible things happen to him, but yet God preserves him and saves him. And that, that's the gist of Psalm 69. Um, I, uh, a friend of mine who struggled with uh, a lot of depression and, and darkness back in high school and stuff, he uh, <laughs> was listening to we were together on pearl street you mentioned pearl street the, the outdoor mall here in boulder and there's lots of street performers and stuff but there was this older guy i remember this so clearly and he was singing this song just about the pain in his life and he had the long beard and i don't know his story but he was singing about all the pain in his life and he just kept singing lord give me a bullet to bite on and that was the chorus of his song and so my friend who was struggling greatly got a hold a, of an old bullet um, that he kept in his pocket at all time and he wrapped it with duct tape and the duct tape just said psalm 69. But for my friend who was struggling profoundly, he read Psalm 69. He wasn't really a big Bible reader, but he read this and he's like, Oh my gosh, somebody felt the kind of thing that I feel. Mm. That's enough for me. That's my bullet to bite on. And he kept that in his pocket and they actually got him through this dark time. Cause he's like, Someone feels my pain. And I think that's the the feeling of Jeremiah in his totally aloneness. That this is this is the this is the sense of is nobody left? Does nobody have any sanity anymore? Am I the only one? And like, Lord, why are you doing this? You duped me. Why am I stuck here? Am I totally alone? Um, Psalm 69 has always been really powerful for me in in a certain sense because of that. So I always think of it as that bullet to bite on. Mm. And often in dark times, I'll just go to Psalm 69, not because it's an uplifting Psalm particularly, but there's something good about feeling Someone knows the feeling of pain. Mm. Our Lord knows pain. He gets that. He feels that. He, mm. he knows what it is to feel alone and abandoned. Mm. And I can use that. And I can take solace in that. And I can move forward. Yeah, so that's
0: that's our psalm this week. That's all I have to say about that. Speaking of moving forward, <laughs> <laughs> one step by one step, let's Romanize.
1: Yeah, Romans 5, um, 12 through 15. Again, I, I think Romans. I think Romans 5 through 8, the middle chunk of it, is the centerpiece of all Christian theology. Because this is where Paul sort of once for all explains, here's how salvation history has been capped. Here is how the question of sin has been answered. Through one, I mean, he draws back. He's like, there was one guy, Adam, and through him, sin entered the world. That's the story of the Old Testament. And then Jesus came; God became incarnate through one man. All sin was actually forgiven and taken out. And here's how the law fits into that. But he he gives like the the summation par excellence of this is Christianity laid out for you. And the point of it is essentially what we see here. There's a bunch of sin that entered the world through Adam and we're stuck with this sin and it's terrible and sin brought death and the death came to all men and we all because we've all sinned, we all experienced this. Again, I'm thinking of Israel every through the sin of the leaders again, through the sin that came in through Adam, but then in a very immediate way through the sin of their leaders and their kings, this death, these this consequence, this exile is brought to all of Israel, right but through one, eventually it's all going to be removed and brought back up and we will be resurrected. And that's how Jesus answers the question of the old Testament.
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's not just that it's, it's, no, it's not just that. Well, it's, it's uh, he does answer the question of the old Testament, but he, like the scandal of particularity, like it's, it's how back in. Yeah. How do we deal with the fact that all of humanity was broken from one? Like, actually, I, I was mm. I was like praying the other day about some paralyzation that was in my life. Okay. And I was just like, Adam, why did we get paralyzed? Adam, why did we get paralyzed? Did why? you ask him? Well, I just said it. I mean, it was yeah. kind of a crying out in, yeah. in, the, in my heart of just going like, like what is th- what is that mechanism within our humanity that is... That is a paralyzation. and wh- why does that happen? And why does sin come out of that paralyzation? And then, and then, how how do you Jesus answer my paralyzed mm. soul? Like how how do you how do you respond to that? And like I need to know that inside of myself, and that's where where it's like you can you can see this kind of like contraction and expansion. It's like out of one, and we see Jeremiah in his unicity trying to prophesy to an entire nation and mm. to say. All of you listen and, and like, because there's, there's this wild thing within our heart that, that in Psalm 6 we feel alone. No man is an island, but yet we ourselves, we, we just get into this place where we cannot see past our own eyelids. We feel this, this the profound pain of our unique and individual sin. And the fear of it. Right. I mean, that, that's the paralysis.
1: Right. Even Even the 10 billion emails or whatever you have sitting in your inbox. I yeah. mean, that's kind of terrifying. It's a different kind of fear, but I mean, mm. it's fear that paralyzes. I mean, this is, I, I'm fully convinced that the, the, the Adam and Eve were paralyzed by the fear of the serpent, right? who was not just a little snake crawling on its belly. I mean, I think you see the, the ancient dragon, the evil one who's threatening them. I think fear caused them to, uh, what other alternatives do I have other than crying out to God for help? I'm going to tap into this thing. I'll eat
0: the fruit. I'll do whatever. I'll compromise in this way. It was it was like at the end of the three Matrix trilogies. <laughs> when you look really at the Matrix on your mind today. Yeah, well, I, I watched the Matrix trilogy uh, recently, uh, and and at the at the end of it, it's like here here comes. I'm just gonna spoil it. So if you haven't seen it, <laughs> then I'm Pause really sorry. Pause your podcast. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He uh, he compromises with the robots. Come on, and it's, Keanu. Like like it's the it's the worst thing ever. He Ugh. just he just says, oh well, you know what? I guess we'll just compromise, <laughs> rather than saying like n- no. Um, no, we're not going to compromise. But uh, that is the universal experience of sin. It's the universal experience of sin. And like you, you talk about the fathers of the church, they'll always say you wait just a little bit longer than you think you can. Yes. And it's precisely in that yeah. that the devil will take flight. Yeah. It, and because it's when you wait, it, it's it's, and the waiting isn't just waiting for its own sake, it's waiting upon the Lord and saying, Lord, will you show up for me? I'm going to wait until you show up, Lord. Yes. That is like that's this wild answer of this particularity of saying we're not alone. God is here. He's gonna be with you. And then the Lord
1: is always like, "Well, I'm gonna drive around the block a couple times just to make you sweat it out." <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> it feels like that. It sure does feel like, like I'm good. coming. I'm just gonna drive around the block a couple times. Yeah, and he's because because I'm there. Well, I, and well, I don't, yeah, that was a trite way to put it, but it well, does feel that way. Like, when are you coming, Lord? I'm I'm waiting here. I don't know if I can make it any longer. The you, Babylonians are, I mean, you can feel, I, I want to be sympathetic to these kings of Israel who are like, we're in charge of all these people and there's Babylon right there. The Lord doesn't seem to be showing up. Well, there's Egypt. We
0: know we have an alternative. Well, and, and, and you're a teacher. You do this to me. You say, I need you to develop the right question. Hmm. And if you don't develop the right hmm. question, then you're never going to be intrigued with the answer. You're not mm. going to care about the answer. And you're not, when you get the answer, the answer is going to be nothing to you. And you're just yeah. going to go along and you're just going to keep doing what you think that you should be doing yeah. and be caught in pride because your knowledge puffs up. Mm. But love builds up. But love builds up, which gets us moving.
1: To the gospel. That's right. So, Jesus, I think the gospel this week is Jesus' warning to us that this is coming. He's saying, make no mistake, here's exactly how it's going to play out. Here's what your temptation is going to be. Here's what not to do. I mean, he's retelling, he's recasting the story of salvation history, saying this is the way that you're going to want to fall, just like everybody else did. Don't. Uh, Matthew 10, it's interesting, the way that Matthew works. Matthew was a tax collector, right, which means essentially he's an accountant which means that Matthew was an organizer of things. He right. likes to organize and compartmentalize things. And its I like his gospel for that reason, because it's very easy to kind of navigate, because it's very compartmentalized. Dude,
0: so, I, w- I want to have doing an experiment. Did did, um, did St. Matthew, the gospel writer, was he more of an accrual guy or cash? Or was he modified cash in his accounting principles? What was the principles? first word you used? Accrual? Cruel. I I wonder if you were to analyze the gospel according to accounting principles, if you could tell if there was input, output, response, and you know, tit for tat. There is, and I'm just about to
1: mention that. So one of the things you do see, the way that and maybe I'm not understanding your
0: economic principles more. Well, no, no, I mean I don't understand but, them either. So <laughs> it works you out. You have really, just, enough, like just to enough to make yourself dangerous. Dude, that's that's but the, the way story that, of my life. The
1: way that Matthew works, though, it's all it's 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 narrative and then speech. Um it's narrative and, and discourse, um basically. Oh, yeah, that's right. So he does organize So chapters eight and nine, to put us where we are, chapters eight and nine Matthew gathers together all the miracle stories of Jesus and all the mighty deeds that he, that he performs. And then in chapter 10, he gives a speech about it, about how he has authority. So having shown all of these mighty deeds, Jesus gives a speech in chapter 10 about authority, And he does this all throughout the gospel, be a narrative about something and then a speech that explains the narrative that just happened. Right. So he does that here. All the miracles have just taken place. And then he gives a speech in chapter 10 about how the father has given him authority. And then he gives that authority, which he's just demonstrated through those mighty deeds to his apostles. So that they are able to share in that authority. That's what chapter 10 is doing. And after having established his authority, given that authority to the apostles, he says, okay, now now that you have this authority, now that you're going to be real leaders, here's what's going to happen. Here's what's to come. And here's all the fear and all the danger and all the threats that's going to want to steal that from you and make you feel afraid and want to make you compromise to those things. And he ends kind of saying, don't fear those who can kill the body. Because that's what the kings of Israel in the past did. They're going to kill us. They're going to hurt us. It's going to get really bad. That's really, I think, the fear of Adam and Eve. This serpent could really hurt us. Well, don't fear that. Fear those who can kill the soul. Mm. And so there's a bigger picture to this. And and, and, And the beauty of this is that even though the disciples clearly don't seem to get it at the moment, they will get it eventually because we know all of the apostles, with the exception of John, were martyred. And went forward to their martyrdom freely and said, no, we're not afraid of you anymore. We will not compromise just because we're afraid of saving our own skin, just because we're afraid of getting hurt or getting killed, or even that our congregations will get hurt or killed. We know that there's a bigger picture, so we will not compromise. So all of the lessons that we got from Jeremiah that Jesus warns them are coming Eventually they do take root, which is kind of a beautiful ending to that. And again, what's the whole point of all this? Well, Jesus is pointing ahead saying, look, if we remember the reading from Jeremiah, I mean, what's the whole point? Somebody has got to absorb the consequence for this sin. God is not this magician who's just going to say, well, there's a much sin. I'm just going to wipe it off. I mean, God has full freedom to forgive all sins. Right. But God is also a God of justice, which means if there's something that is wrong in the universe that he created good, that wrong needs to be made right. God can't just look the other way and forget it. He could because he's God. But then there's something in his universe which is good, which is out of whack. And so I think we have a God who says, no, I need to make things right, not merely look the other way. And these people can't make things right. I, they're too small to absorb the consequence of yeah. what has happened and what has built up over the centuries. <sighs> so I myself will be what Jeremiah asked Israel to be because Jesus is the new Israel embodied in himself. And he says, I will put my head down and I will take it. And I will absorb the pain and the consequence and everything that you have wrought. And I will take it upon myself, knowing that if I take that on in faithfulness, I will be raised back up. And there will be resurrection from the dead. Because that evil, that consequence, that sin, that pain does not have the final word. But sometimes we need to take it and someone needs to absorb it. And that's the Gospels, right? That is Christianity. There's evil in the world. It's run rampant. What is to be done about it? Someone has to absorb it. Someone's got to take the blow, right?
0: I just installed a, a new <laughs> uh, sprinkler controller, <laughs> <laughs> so I've been having irrigation on my mind. <laughs> and, <laughs> I want to hear where this is going. And uh, and, and I just was and, and so like I've just been thinking about absorption rates and <laughs> and like how, how you do methods of, of sprinkling. Yeah. And so and but why would you absorb anything? And that's only to bear fruit. It's, oh i'm well done and so like I, well done I, I just am seeing how like mm. w- what it, what is the demand that god always has he says be fruitful in the times that i'm asking you to be fruitful he mm. demands fruitfulness this isn't like we're no we're not joking about fruitfulness yeah. the lord is not like hey yeah just if that's okay no yeah. jesus is telling the story of the vineyard they came for fruit there was fruitfulness and i want i want my portion of this fruitfulness yes and and the they were tempted to just hold on to the fruitfulness of, uh, for themselves rather than bestowing it and giving it back to god and yes. so why did jesus absorb this well it was so that the, so that israel could be fruitful yes. within the world because he is his longing is for the heart of humanity His longing is for us individually for us to be with him and and if if it means surrendering for a little while to join ourselves to Jesus Christ, who had to surrender himself to sin and death. Yeah. Um, then we join ourselves to him because it was it, like, it, it would be super hard in Jeremiah to even understand that. But now, now but now that type is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Which, and, is, which is what makes Jeremiah so heroic. Right. Because he couldn't understand
1: that. Right. Yet he was faithful to it. And that... In total blindness to the end of the story, just trusting,
0: I know that you will make this work, Lord. That's yeah. what, I mean, Jeremiah... Dude, that it's dude. Pretty s- profound. That dude. I'm. A- want to have a chalk talk with him in heaven, man. <laughs> hey, God bless you all. Thanks for joining us here for uh, uh, the latest edition of the Lanky Guys, the Word, Word on of- the Hill. <laughs> 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 and we will be back next week. Hey, and thank you guys for being such wonderful, faithful listeners. Indeed. And making it to this point in the podcast. Indeed, and yeah, uh, <laughs> you know,
1: that is a feat. <laughs> Thanks for absorbing this. Podcast. <laughs> May it bear fruit. Yes. See you next week. God bless you. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.